looking, uh, thinking about, uh, I don't know, thinking here. Uh, <laughs> I just remembered uh, that I, I, I should mention to you guys, if you don't know about it, there's a Yahoo group called 12-Fold Path, the number 12-Fold Path. And uh, it's a Buddhist recovery Yahoo group. And it, it often goes inactive for months at a time. And it has been inactive for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, there's just been a lot of stuff going on on it. There's one guy named Joe Fincher there who lives in Thailand, who I, we've met some years ago. He, came, we get, he got in touch with me, and he was visiting the States. And uh, he's just, he's very sharp, you know. He says, I mean, there's lots of good stuff on there, but there was something on there he was saying about higher power today that was just so great. Um, so if you're interested in just like having an online community of, uh, of Buddhist recovery, Check that out and get on that. Um, and no, I can't remember what he said, but it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember what I've said, so. What was the name again? 12-fold path. So like 8-fold path, but 12, etc. On Yahoo groups, which is, you know, it's weird. Those, they're still around. I mean, Yahoo's sort of like, you know, so retro. But anyway. Um, so... So step five says, uh, we admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And I'd rather avoid the God part of the step right now. Um, But um, just thinking about this step, to me, the admitting uh, of anything, of any uh, mistake or... uh, or um, failing in ourselves is such a, a central part of the recovery process of the twelvefold process, and and another one of those pieces that's kind of I'm not sure if it's uh, understood by people who haven't been through the steps, and there's so much kind of confusion about the steps, you know, and if you know, I, I was. Uh, a while back, I was writing regularly on Huffington Post, and uh, I just found that you know every time I I would write a blog, like once a month, there'd just be all these twelve-step haters, you know, <laughs> and it just and and the Huffington Post asked me to respond to some of the comments to like because it's like a way of you know interacting, blah blah blah, and I just couldn't stand it. You know, I mean, I just, uh, and and so I think there are many aspects of the twelve, of the twelve step process that are, they aren't necessarily you know evident in the words of the steps, but they are in the program that people who aren't in it don't know about. Now, one of them that I think is. Uh, not understood is the morality aspect of it. I think people think that you stop drinking and it's like, oh, that's your big... But, you know, the, the fact is that 12-step programs promote 
uh, a moral approach to our lives. That means we don't s steal and cheat and lie and harm pe people. Our, our sex lives change. Our, you know, our, our work lives change. Everything changes, right? So it's, and, and that's, that's not explicitly in the steps. You can get that. You can Im infer it. But it, it's much more to me in the program and the community. So, uh, again, the, you know, the word admitting, I think, shows up in the steps maybe three times. It's the first step, admitted we were powerless, and then the fifth step, we admitted to God, and then the tenth step, uh, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. I'm, I'm just guessing that right now. Um, but in my own uh, recovery and, and, and ongoing, <laughs> you know, process, this is so, so important. And, and it was so helpful for me uh, when I surrendered to this. When I did my fifth step, uh, there was a, a great, uh, for me, lifting of burden, uh, a lot of the shame and the defensiveness and the sense of, uh, of fear, uh, of not, of... Uh, a lot. You know, it's really, uh, I think, essentially f uh, ego fear, you know, fear of the ego being attacked, uh, uh, the threat to the ego. Excuse me. You know, and, uh, this, uh, this whole process, obviously, is really tied up with ego and self and self-image and, and attachment to self. And, you know, and where in the 12 steps we kind of talk about that self-centeredness was the problem and selfishness. And, and then Buddhism kind of takes it one more step saying that, well, actually, that self is really just a construction uh, that it's, it's, if we look carefully, we'll see that it's, there's nothing solid there. There, there isn't a, a core self, and so that that's really a problem. You know, if you're attached to that, if you're attached to something that doesn't exist, you know, that's that's a problem. Um, or if you're you know self-centered, you're centered around something that doesn't exist, you know, uh, but we can at least say that it's very fragile, you know, it's this, it's this, uh, it, it, you know, we do have a personality and, and we, and we do have a history and, and a name and, and an identity. And so, uh, it's, uh, when we're very protective of it because of the nature of life, uh, it, we're going to be under threat, uh, a great, a great deal of the time. Uh, we're all going to make mistakes, and then how are we going to deal with that, the confrontation of our, our own failures? And, uh, and I know that uh, you know, before I got sober, and particularly the last year or two before I got sober, I was in a relationship with someone who kind of had my number, which was really painful. <laughs> uh, because I was completely unwilling to admit my failings and my mistakes. And so to have someone like call me out on stuff just uh, incited rage in me. Rage being one of my character defects to this day. Um, 
So I, you know, just yesterday I was uh, <laughs> with with a very close friend who I had been teaching at uh, an event that she was uh, organizing, and I was just kind of visiting, teaching, and I had said something uh, just that came out of my mouth as <laughs> occasionally does, more than occasionally that that wasn't uh, a good. It, I just used very bad language, lang- the wrong language to to express something, and. I, I was, it was kind of, I was, as I often do in my teaching, it, it was kind of like a spontaneous, I was kind of trying to communicate something, and and it, it hit somebody there really, really badly, and, the, and that person, uh, you know, confronted me. This was a month or two ago, and then, and so my, my friend who I was having lunch with was like, at the end of the meal, she was like, and I need to tell you, you know, that there was this problem, and I was like, I know, and she, and she was like, you know, and I said, I am so sorry. You know, I was really wrong in that. I was just that was the wrong thing to say, and you know, I'm uh, it, it, I'm I'm really sorry it came out that way. And it was, we talked about it. And it was just, and she was like, you know, it's thank you for you know. I mean, she was grateful for that. You know, I was like, well, you, you know, that was just an asshole. I was I was cool. You know, I mean, you know how what we do when we're when we're afraid and. And it's still painful, of course. It's always painful to to be wrong and then have to admit it. But it's it's much more like just rip the bandage off, you know, get it over with. Yeah, I was wrong. Okay, it hurts, but instead of this kind of gnawing, like oh, and and the conflicts you get into, and all the you know the lies and the dance, that it's just so. So ugly, and it's so funny that what we'll go through in order to avoid that just pure, oh, yeah, I screwed up, you know. Uh, and and uh, so, uh, you know, the steps, of course, after step five, <sighs> sorry, um, you know, start to talk about humility, and obviously hum- humility starts to happen in st- earlier in the steps than steps six and seven. But um, but the importance of that, uh, I think, can't be uh, underestimated. Well, all of that being said, I I now have the big book on here, which is just so great because <laughs> I don't have to carry this stuff around with me. Um, and there's a there's a paragraph that usually when I talk about step five that I like to read from from the big book because it's really just fabulous. <laughs> as much as the big book gets uh, a bad rap, especially in Buddhist circles, I'd say maybe not especially, but anyway. Um, and what what I, I'm this isn't an original um, observation, but I never heard it before I noticed it, which is that this is these are promises. You know, a set of promises that come with step five. We don't have to wait for step nine. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. Right away, why wouldn't you want to do that? You know? <laughs> wow, I'm going to get to be delighted. What do I have to do? Oh. <laughs> hmm. We can look the world in the eye. You know, exactly. Right? <laughs> because when we're... You know, when we're hiding something, we like, you know, no. And, you know, we actually, my daughter did something uncool this week. And, uh, you know, we had one of those satter down things. 
And at a certain point, you know, my wife said to her, please look me in the eye. You know, and she couldn't look us in the eye because you, know, you can't when you're ashamed or when you're 15. <laughs> or when you're 35, whatever. So that's, that's a beautiful thing, and it makes perfect sense that once having admitted things and realizing that you don't have to protect your ego in the same way you thought you did, it'd be much easier to just look the world in the eye. Oh, there goes my necklace. Oh, no, that was this. I was hallucinating. Okay, it's been a long day. I couldn't sleep last night, so I'm, and then I was in the studio for eight hours. Did I mention that? And did I mention I can't finger, feel my fingers? Okay. Okay, good. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. That's a really interesting, uh, I mean, these are you know, promises or, or uh, I don't know if this is exactly true, but, um, but certainly the idea that we can be with ourselves without, without oh, there it goes. I don't know, it must have been seeing into the future. I just saw, I knew something was going to happen here. Um, Again, it makes sense that once we're not kind of ashamed, because shame doesn't just work with the outer world. We don't, it's not just that we can't look the outer world in the eye. We can't look ourselves in the eye, right? We don't, we can't look honestly at ourselves. And when you're alone, you're just with yourself and your own stuff comes up. So to be alone at, per, at perfect peace and ease, which also sounds like an excellent uh, condition for being uh, a meditator, <laughs> that, that you can uh, sit. Um, you know, when people talk about their difficulties with meditation, it's usually along the lines of something like, oh, I can't sit still, or I have too many thoughts, these kind of things are like a beginning meditator, and you know, I, I don't mean to actually. That's that can be true at any stage, not just beginning. But but when someone has no experience, they'll kind of be telling you why they can't meditate at all. And it makes me wonder if there's sort of an aspect of this in that, because restlessness, physical restlessness, is often tied to something emotional that we can't just can't sort of be there with ourselves. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. Uh-oh. I don't know what that means. Uh, I, you know, well, what I think they're talking about is a sense of wholeness. Um, I notice that people will say things like, I don't feel very close to my higher power right now. And I talk about this in my second book, about, about the idea that one of the, one of the aspects of what I would call sort of Dharma God is this sense of wholeness or presence of God of fully being here and sort of being complete. That's everything, that kind of feeling the connection that we feel when we're really at ease and we're really in a, in a, 
I'll say, a profound meditative state, just a, a real meditative state. And that's a really precious thing, but it's also transient. And I think that if we overvalue that or identify that as our relationship to a higher power, then we're putting ourselves in this position of, of uh, always having the risk of kind of losing our higher power. And, and I don't believe that you can lose your higher power or that you can be... Uh, um, that if there are powers, they're, they're here all the time. We don't always feel them. We're not always interacting skillfully with them or cultivating them or however you want to look at them. But there's not. And, and what I, further, in terms of kind of uh, the self, I'll say self-judgment, it's not quite the right word, but sort of saying, oh, well, I'm not very close to my higher power right now. Like, it's kind of like it's a bad thing. That if you are living a moral life, if you're being kind or generous or compassionate, uh, if you're, uh, you know, just being skillful in your behavior, if you're, if you're aware of uh, impermanence or just all the... All the aspects of the Dharma that are powers, then you are with your higher power. You're interacting with your higher power. You're engaged with your higher power. That doesn't mean you feel it. That's an aspect that might not always be there. But you're still living in harmony with your higher power, which is to me what step three is about, living in harmony with our higher power, doing the right thing. Um, And and I say that, and the reason I talk about it that in the in uh, burning desire is that our um, sense of our relationship with our higher power, our if our beliefs around it, um, have a real have a really strong impact on just how we feel about ourselves. And if we kind of have this one way of determining whether we're in a spiritual state or whether we're with our higher power, and it's all based on how we feel, then we're kind of setting ourselves up. Oh, I don't feel very spiritual. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel, sometimes you don't. It doesn't mean you are not spiritual. That's just a feeling. And there are many ways that we express our spirituality. And I think it's really important to have a very broad view of what spirituality means. I'm not going to go much further with that because you should read that book. It's a great book. I wrote it. Um, And this is, I think, my favorite part of this promise. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs. Next page. But now we begin to have a spiritual experience that. This is the essence of this program and of this practice. It's not up here. You You can have all the beliefs in the world. You can have all the insights. You can read every Buddhist book in the world and then under, oh yeah, I got no self all figured out. You know, I understand the Eightfold Path. I've memorized the seven factors of enlightenment and the 32 wings of awakening. 
I'm still just miserable though, you know. <laughs> but I don't, you know. No, because it's an experience. It's not beliefs, it's not knowledge, it's not information. And, and I suppose, again, that because this, is, this step, in a sense, is removing the blockage of ego. You know, it's really, ta- it's, it, it, to me, that's what it's about. This, it's like, you could think of our inventory as the thing that we carry around with us that, that, um, that blocks us from experiencing something, I'll say just a true self or a truer self, a, pu- a more pure self. Because it's all the story and the stuff and I got, I got to carry that around with me. And, and you take that away and ah, you know, there's just life, just being, uh, being awake, being alive. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. That's nice. We feel we are on the broad highway, capital B, capital H, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, capital S, capital U. This, uh, again, I've, uh, well, not again, but one of the things that's interesting about this book is the many different terms that are used for the to uh, identify God or to name God. And um, some of them can seem very sort of Christian and, uh, uh, you know, traditional. And people will kind of point at those to say, well, I can't do this or I don't like the steps or the big, big book is just about this. But, you know, the spirit of the universe, I mean, that's a pretty open uh, idea. It's not talking about a being. It's not even talking about a force, although earlier when it says the creator, we're talking about a power. Um, The broad highway, you know, the sense that uh, the possibilities of the openness of our lives and hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, not, it's not the Sistine Chapel, it's not God reaching down to us. It's partners with God uh, or with the Spirit. Much more palatable, I think, and much more the way I view higher power as powers that exist that I interact with and that I try to harmonize with. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's nothing personal about that power or those powers. Um, uh, There's nothing any more personal than the power of gravity. It's just a, that there are powers in the universe. And the, you know, the central power out of which kind of all the powers derive is the, the power of the law of karma, cause and effect. So how am I going to interact with that power? Uh, that's the question. That's the great question, uh, really, that human beings are, are trying to answer in moment by moment, and it's the question that governments try to answer, and it's the question that uh, parents try to answer, and and workers try to answer, and, and in every situation, the question is, what can I do in order to get the result that I want? 
what do I have to do to get the result that I want? In other words, what karmic action do I want to take, should I take, in order to get the karmic results that I want? Um, there, someone put on Facebook today a, a link to uh, a legislator in Minnesota, a woman who was crying because they had passed the um, law to allow uh, you know, marriage for uh, same-sex couples. This is just so terrible. Just... That's because of her belief about cause and effect, that this action will lead to a bad things. Uh, politics is all about arguments about cause and effect. Yeah. Some people believe that you know, having uh, a lot of debt for the nation will harm the economy. And so they think we should, you know, pay off the debt. Don't worry about people's jobs or health care or anything like that. You know, we just got to pay down that debt because that's the problem. Other people are sane. But anyway. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry if I'm a little biased. So this is, uh, I think, a really kind of pivotal pivotal step, and, it, and it's it, it, what happens in this step really, um, you know, happens through m much of the, or many of the 12 steps, and, and it's the, it's the uh, not the only one, but it's kind of the main step that's about our, uh, um, or that involves a, a direct interaction with someone, and and uh, this um, that's not just about I'm just going to sit down and pray, or I'm going to meditate, and and this is one of the places where I think the the twelve step world has something so valuable to bring to the Buddhist world that a lot of times the Buddhist practices, at least in in the West, are kind of all focused around this silent personal practice that is incredibly valuable and useful, but it has limitations. It has some really significant limitations. Um, and, uh, and although there are some traditional monastic practices around confession, we don't see a lot of it in the, uh, in the lay community. So it's really something that that I like to bring into um, into my teaching when I teach retreats. There's always uh, the opportunity to interact and to connect, connect with people and to talk about uh, what's going on. And as we know, you know, it's it's very different to think something and to speak it, just as it's very different to think it and to write it. Um, Just that's making me think I should give you guys something to talk to each other about. It's a thought. Uh, maybe I'll come up with something. But uh, in the meantime, thoughts or questions about what's uh, what I've been talking about? What's come up for you as I've been talking? Yeah. I was just sort of reflecting on something you said initially, which was about 
I mean, you were talking about the fifth step in the context of um, feeling bad yourself about something you said to somebody earlier. And I was just sort of reflecting on that, thinking how that piece where I feel I feel bad about something I did, and that's, you know, that there's a reason for that. But then there's a layering that goes on top of that, that I sort of remember the Dalai Lama saying something about, you know, us, we Americans are so hard on ourselves, and he mm. just was perplexed. Like, he didn't understand that. It doesn't, yeah. why, like, not even why, it's like, it doesn't compute. Yeah. And so that piece, to me, is what stands out in the forgiveness process of how do I start to see that extra layer that I'm adding on top, which is that, sort of that second arrow, yeah. and then letting that go and seeing it and understanding it and not punishing myself for a mistake, yeah. which is going to happen again and again. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that I often say, you probably heard me say, that I like to, I think that we, we need to have compassion and forgiveness as our companions during our meditation. Uh, and that, you know, to me, this practice, uh, when engaged in deeply, we see um, the inevitability of, uh, of uh, say, failure or uh, that, that we're all flawed and, and that we're all going to do things to harm people and that we've all been harmed. And, and so um, when we, uh, one of the things that happens, as you know, as you sit and the mind becomes quiet is that there's a disidentification with the experience you're having after a while because... Um, as the mind becomes quiet, there's, there's sort of nobody there to be identifying with. And so then, when stuff comes up, it kind of comes out of this emptiness or out of the spaciousness. And, it, and we see it m- much less as being attached to some, someone and just more as stuff or energy expressed as thoughts or feelings. And so through that whole process is how there's sort of this, this um, disidentification that then allows us to uh, see what's going on in a much more uh, broad way that, that, uh, that everyone you know, harms people, everyone does unskillful things and that everyone suffers and so because we're all struggling what we all deserve is compassion and forgiveness the long way of saying sort of what you were already saying (laughs) yeah so um the step i know more about step five than i do about Buddhist practice but um but there's a description in the step of it. Um, it's likened to um, a shopkeeper taking inventory. Mm-hmm. And it's called a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. 
And um, for me, that is, okay, maybe I'm totally intellectualizing here, but, but that feels like a, a, a real neutralization of, this, of, the, mm-hmm. of the step and of removing the ego yeah. from the step. And it's something that I, when I'm working with people that I try to emphasize, it's really hard when you're, you're new not to feel like shit. Yeah. But, um, but that's, I guess that, that's my observation. I wonder if you have any other kind of addition to that. Or the other thing that I say or try to remember, which is what you're saying is, you know, about being, you know, a friend to myself. Which no. actually I think I heard from Gil Kronstoff huh. many years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I certainly uh, I agree with you that, that, that that's part of what uh, the step is trying to get us um, to depersonalize a bit. I, I, think it, I think it is hard. Um, and I, I don't know that I see as much... Uh, of the kind of pointing to disidentifying in the 12-step literature as I do, certainly not as much as in the Buddhist teachings. And, and so that's one of the things that I think is helpful because I think it's very easy. Uh, some of the language, the 12-step language, like character defects, um, sounds kind of personal. And character is something that's kind of solid. And, and so um, I th- uh, for me, there's a risk in the inventory process of uh, morbid self-reflection, you know, and and it's and it's it's a hard one, and it's one of the reasons why um, I also really like to emphasize the positive inventory. It's it's mentioned, but it's not emphasized very much. And uh, you know, the Buddha says, really take take joy, just as I was talking about with the Dana, take joy, take pleasure in your good actions as much as in the, uh, as much as you want to take responsibility for your negative ones, um, you know that. As Max was talking about the Dalai Lama and what you know, his his observation was kind of the idea of hating yourself is really kind of bizarre when you actually think about it. Like what? What? What am I? You know, Who's hating whom? You know, and, 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 and that's actually, that was actually the question, some, a question, some, basically that question that Eckhart Tolle was asking himself when he had his breakthrough, as he describes in the beginning of The Power of Now. Like, how, how can I hate, who, who is hating I? I am hating me. Aren't Aren't I and me talking about the same thing? And what are they both talking about? And how can how can the thing that is hate itself? It it just sort of doesn't make any sense. So that's an interesting uh, koan, basically. I mean, it was it worked as a koan for Eckhart Tolle because it it forced him into a whole other sort of cracked crack in in reality. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem to me that the step is about a honest 
Yeah. More on this one. And yeah. To get to the promises that you described, it does seem to me that that is an essential component. Yeah. And some of that is going to be painful in your description of behaviors yeah. that were not thought of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, honesty, I mean, that word, you know, is, I think some, some version of it shows up three times in the first paragraph of how it works, chapter five in the big book. And, and uh, yeah, um, and, and uh, you know, one of my sort of Buddhist takes on that is that, that mindfulness is a kind of honesty. It's kind of an existential honesty. It's like, what is right now? Mindfulness is to be really honest about what is happening right now. And it's not so much that we think about it as being honest, this is what's happening right now, but it is one way of viewing the experience of breathing in, this is what I feel. Honestly, this is what's happening. Whereas our we put such an overlay on our experience, an, an interpretation of our experience, that we don't actually experience the purity of the experience. Uh, and I'm sort of going away from what you're talking about, I'm sorry. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree that um, honesty is essential to the, the both recovery and Buddhist paths. And, and the challenge, of course, being to, to know what is true. <laughs> because the uh, thing that is trying to understand what is true is also interpreting the experience. Does that make sense? So, so uh, we're... Are, we're always one step removed. You know, there's that that uh, thing that they you know say about our perception of reality is that our senses are actually only capable of experiencing things that already happened. You know, because we're always slightly because of the speed of sense receptivity. Now I'm really going off here, but yeah, you know. It, 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 you know that, that light, even though it's moving 187,000 or 6,000 miles a second, whatever, it's still, <laughs> there's still a space in there. And uh, anyway, the more important point, you know, when the, when the Buddha talks about um, how to speak, you know, right speech, he says we need to say what's true in a timely manner and only if it's useful. And so when I do mindful speech exercises, one of the first things, and I'd say the key thing that I ask people to look at is what is true? And how, how, how do you know that that's true? If you're going to say something to someone, be very careful of the language that you use. Because if you say that you know that thing, you better be pretty sure that, that you have absolute evidence of that. And there's very little that we have absolute evidence of that we can say this is true other than this is how I feel 
or this is what I think. Everything else is kind of an interpretation. And that's why I encourage people to be careful of using words like always, never, should. You really should stop drinking. I think, you know, I would add that, you know, right? <laughs> no matter, you know, I don't know. What if, you, what if they stop drinking and have a seizure? You know, oops, I guess maybe they shouldn't have stopped drinking, you know, not quite like that. Or, uh, yeah, Mary? One thought I had, <laughs> maybe it's a good idea or a good thing that most people delay doing their fourth and fifth step mm-hmm. for quite a while. <laughs> Because, um, you know, the only humility that we have at the beginning is really just the absolute being beaten by alcohol and drugs. And that's an admission. I certainly couldn't make the admission that my life was unmanageable at the beginning. I just thought, you know, I was powerless over alcohol. You know, I was thinking about how um, you, it's because there's all these layers of denial and self-justification and just pure defensiveness, um, it's really difficult in early sobriety or like with teenagers to admit that they're wrong. And I mean, it's it's hard for any of us, but after a while, it it gets easier. But it it also gives you time if you wait, gives you time to build up at least some positive actions because you have been sober and you are. You maybe aren't like on the ethical point of the Buddha yet, but you are. Presumably acting in a kinder and more honest manner for a while. So by the time you get to doing a fifth step with someone, they are able to point out like the, the good things yeah. that you have done. And you don't, you, there's an ambiguity about the self that you're perceiving, and you kind of go like, Oh, you know, I'm capable of all this stuff, and maybe there is no fixed self. You know, I mean, maybe they're not going to get to that point. Feeling like more of a process than a fixed ego. I think that's a really, really important point, Mary. Because I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how overwhelming it can be, and it is for sometimes for people to suddenly face their failings, and that that can actually lead to self-destruction. It, that, that's sort of where suicidal impulses come from, when there's a sense of, I am bad. And when you don't have any space around it, when you don't have any sense of it as, a, as process, or, or there's no letting go happening, it's just, you're just, oh, whoa, you know, it's like, it's... You know, it's, it's the gradual path, right? You know, I mean, traditionally, all spiritual traditions have a, have a gradual path. Uh, you know, the, the, there's the idea that 
a sudden experience of enlightenment for someone who's not prepared for it can actually cause a psychotic break. You know, and that, that, that kind of makes sense, you know, that if you see the nature of reality absolutely without any psychic or spiritual or even emotional preparation, then it can, it's not manageable. Uh, and that's why, you know, there's always been like this, there used to be the secret teachings. Now everything's in a book because everybody wants to write their book, you know, so. Well, maybe also there's that thing with, with uh, rehabs where they try to force too much self-knowledge mm. on someone right away and mm. doing all this, you know, yeah. four-step process or whatever with maybe uh, not the most well-trained counselors in the world and people relapse. They don't, they're not ready to face it. I mean, maybe they're just yeah. not ready to stop drinking and using either. But. Yeah. You know, you're reminding me of a good friend who's a really uh, recognized kind of interventionist and he's developed uh, programs for some of the leading treatment centers and and he's working with somebody now who's starting a pre-treatment treatment program <laughs> because he says a lot of times people go into treatment they don't know what they're getting into they don't know what the process is going to be and they go in for 30 days in the first two weeks they're just don't even have a clue what's going on until they and they finally figure out what's supposed to happen and they've basically wasted half the time. So this is like a, it's I don't know if it's sort more I don't know if it's outpatient or it's it's not you know it includes detox and it's it's like kind of get people ready for the process uh, rather than just jumping into okay now you know right you're in uh, what <laughs> you know what am I why am I doing this you know they kind of <laughs> explaining something about what the process is that a lot of times gets lost in that. Yeah. Program. Well, we say you're ready when you're ready. You know. Yeah. I mean. Oh. Okay. I don't know. There's not one right way to do it. Absolutely not. And there's no cure for everybody. You know, just in one one way works for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. On, uh, on the subject of, of, of laying the groundwork, and it occurs to me that my primary spiritual practice well, and also coping mechanism these days is um, compassion and um, you know and I, and, I, and I do some Buddhist practices that uh, uh, help me to meet all problems with compassion it's changing myself for others and it's made um, an enormous difference in my life you know, in a million ways it works great um, and as I sit here tonight, it occurs to me that I don't think I could do this practice or gain anything from it if it hadn't been for uh, going through the steps, and specifically the fourth and fifth steps, and sitting through meetings and listening to other people, loving them and forgiving them for their mistakes before I could forgive myself for yeah. mine. And, um, you know, and, and my whole addiction was about... Um, hiding from other people and from myself I was I really didn't want to be an AA I didn't want to be alcoholic when I got when I realized I was alcoholic I didn't want to be an AA when I got into AA I didn't want to do the steps when I started doing steps I didn't want to do the fourth step or the fifth step I mean I dragged my feet the whole time 
I was looking for loopholes. I thought about moving out of the country, so I could <laughs> do it, you know, ver you know, written the way. There is that thing in the book that says if there's nobody to talk to, you can do it by yourself. So I was trying to figure out a way that I could bring that up. And all that stuff. And, and having to, and having the blessing of going through those experiences um, really made me open up to other people and realized um, against my will at first and now to my great gratitude the value in connecting with other people and I, and so I, I could have been Buddhist you know my whole life but it wouldn't have done for me what it does today without going through that yeah. great thank you and, and you're you're um, expressing something that I also say uh, that I think that twelve step working the twelve steps is a tremendous foundation for Buddhist practice. Many people who come into Buddhist practice without a twelve step background have a lot of extra stuff they have to do, or even don't even really. It doesn't quite click for them because it, there's too much blockage. But when you, when you have a foundation, just as you said, it, in the honesty and in compassion, uh, self-compassion, self-investigation, as well as the morality. You know, many people come to Buddhism, they don't really know about the precepts, you know, and that's not really, that's not really emphasized at places like Spirit Rock. But, you know, the precepts are fundamental to Buddhism and to Buddhist practice. And uh, when you practice the precepts, one of which is to not use intoxicants, by the way, you have a great foundation for meditation, you know, and, and, and as well as that self-investigation and all that stuff. So when you sit down and meditate, it's not like, oh, wow, where's all this stuff coming from? It's like, oh, all this crap, right, yeah. I thought I dealt with this. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I'll come back to my breath and let it go. It's a whole different experience, I think, when you've really worked the steps. So, um, I, As much as, you know, when I first started to offer these teachings here, uh, or offer these classes, I should say, you know, and workshops and retreats, I think there was a, and there may still be this perception by the, the non-recovery community, a Buddhist community, that this is like the, uh, the exactly. That was exact. I was trying to think of the term for the alternative school. Right. You got the main high school, and then you got the bad kids. Yeah. And you know, they'll get their high school degree, but they won't really know anything. You know. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't think that's a terrible exaggeration. It's, it's just terribly judgmental, but hey, you know, I'm admitting that. So there you go. I'm taking my own inventory. All right, I'm going to play one more song, and then we can go. I was trying to think of what, a, what else I could play. And, uh, uh, I think I can do this with this guitar. This is a song that I wrote for my daughter. Uh, we were, we, we've been coming to the family retreat since she was five every summer and uh, this will be the last year she's allowed to come uh, as a 15 year old now uh, 10 years um, that we've been coming and uh, 
Of course, this year it's like, do I have to go to any? It's your last time. You've got to graduate. You've got to get your diploma. Uh, but last summer, you know, we, so we share a room, which is one of the sweetest times. This is one of the, you know, we share a, a little room up in the, in the dormitories. If you've ever had a retreat up here, you know, you'll sleep on a little mat on the floor. I get the bed. And uh, although now I think they've been giving us two beds. Anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, last summer, being a teenager now, she was sleeping in. So uh, I wrote this song, which has its, uh, you know, transcendent meaning as well as its, uh, it's the opposite of transcendent. Yeah. And the way this is uh, developed on the on my CD, it's a, it's in reggae, but I can't play twelve string reggae. I can play twelve step reggae. And I, I was gonna. Uh. Wake up my darling, don't let the day just slip away Wake up, my dear, precious time cannot be saved Now is the moment that we've waited for Now is the reason that we both were born It'll never come again You'll never find this precious gem So come on, wake up, wake up Wake up and begin Searching, searching For the reason why Searching, searching Look into my eyes What do you see there? Love is on the rise Love is the reason Yeah, love is the reason why Wake up to the earth To the sea To the sky To the fire that's burning Burning to be alive All the time we've wasted Wasted all that we could have tasted, got it, tasted, tasted, every day amazes, 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 I just want you to open up your eyes, what do you see now, shoo up, shoo up, shoo out of water, shoo up, Shoo up, shoo up, shoo out of water, shoo up. Shoo up, shoo up, shoo out of water, shoo up. Shoo up, shoo up, shoo out of water, shoo up. Shoo up, shoo up, shoo up, 
wake up, my darling, don't let the day just slip away. Wake up, my dear, precious time cannot be saved. Now is the moment that we've waited for. Now is the reason that we both were born. It'll never come again. You'll never find these precious gems. Oh, come on. Wake up, wake up. Wake up and begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake up, wake up. Wake up and begin. La, da, la, da, la, da. Wake up, wake up. Wake up, my darling. <laughs> Thank you. So let's just close with some silence. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you all very much for coming tonight. I am scheduled to be here for the next few second Fridays, so I hope to see you again. I'm sorry I haven't been here for a little while.